what name are you bringing to the podcast and why? The No Shame In My Name podcast is a platform that celebrates and documents the stories behind names. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music and wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at No Shame In My Name Pods. Yeah, there was an element of, of freedom, like, oh, I'm one person was there's a lot of steps in Machu Picchu mm. say it's high up in the mountains but someone was very excited to be able to walk down steps <laughs> without pain to experience walking down steps without pain they didn't care that it was Machu Picchu but they were just so excited and graduates. Welcome to PhD Lounge, the podcast of late night interviews where PhD students have a drink and talk about their research topics. I am your host Luis and happy year 2023, hoping that you have spent a lovely Christmas, New Year's Eve and first day of 2023 with your families and closest relatives. For the fourth time, while living, working and studying in Swansea since 2019, I spent Christmas, New Year's Eve and the first day of each year alone, even though I celebrated online with my parents and my brother. And besides that, I always find something to be creative and to be outside of home. Of course, when it is not raining, just like last year's Christmas. When I went cycling far from Swansea, where heavy rain started pouring and I got soaked when coming back home. Things I do to be creative are writing podcast scripts, playing classic Pokemon games, listening to Christmas jazz songs and watching films and series on Streamio. When the weather is fine and sunny, however, I go walking, running or cycling. This Christmas, I celebrated it with my working colleagues from Nando's Swansea, which, by the way, for those who are listening to this session, Nando's is a restaurant chain in the UK where they serve grilled chicken and other whole food selection inspired in African Portuguese grilling style. And if you are not from the UK and if you have the opportunity to come to this country, make sure to list Nando's in your traveling dues and try to eat there, as you will be pleased with the food that they offer. Back to what I was saying. I was invited to have an afternoon lunch and dinner with some of my Nando's working colleagues, where we had a pajama social watched some films and played some social games, which was fun and kind of a different Christmas party, as it was for me my second time I was enjoying Christmas with a group of friends that could not celebrating it with their parents and relatives. Therefore, I could say that those moments are some of a second family to you when, due to working reasons or even when you're studying an undergraduate, 
master's or PhD far from your home country, there is always a solution to spend Christmas, New Year's and any other special day you consider to yourself with your friends that are also spending those days alone. For me, it was a pleasure, even though I often miss being reconciled with my parents, divorced for 13 years, and my brother to spend some time with them together. And so, being with your colleagues slash friends, I think it has that special touch and care. So for those who could not enjoy Christmas, New Year's Eve, and the 1st of January of the new year with your family and relatives, but with your friends, I hope that you had a wonderful time nevertheless. Anyway, welcome to 2023, hoping as well that you excelled yourself during the January exams, still continuing your PhD research after those lovely holidays, and lastly, all the best for the second term. And I welcome you as well to the first session of the PhD launch of this year, starting with a late-night interview with a third-year PhD student from Swansea University. This third-year PhD student studies tourism, but within a business management context, and has an interesting topic that, who knows, might be the future of these two subjects. And it is about the use of virtual reality or VR technology for people with limited physical mobilities. The work of this student is to teach and engage people with disabilities to experience different touristic landscapes with the use of VR and how it can be a beneficial technological tool for the tourism business. And throughout the research, the student had talked about the reactions of each participant and the landscapes that were used, in this case, Kenya and Borneo, which you will know about during the session. So therefore, have a seat, grab your drinks, and let's welcome my PhD guest, Louisa Hardwick. Hi, Louisa. Welcome to the PhD Lounge podcast, and thank you for being my guest and for sharing a research topic that is enlightening and probably it might be the future of VR for people in general and spe especially for tourism and business management. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, could you tell us briefly about your academic journey before venturing into the, the PhD? So I actually, oh God, over 10 years ago now I did my undergrad um, and then decided to travel about for a bit, basically. So I spent the next 10 years traveling. And then about 2019, I was like, oh, let's get serious about life for a second then. Came back and did my master's in Swansea. And then they asked me to stay on for a PhD. So I thought, well, yeah, and it happened during COVID. So I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So I might as well. <laughs> and that was accidental the entire time. All right. So where did you, where did you take the undergraduate and the masters all in Swansea or not? No, my, 
undergraduate was actually in Aberystwyth University. Oh, okay, so it's a bit far, far, uh, far from Swansea then. Yes, further up north. Up, up north. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and was it business management, tourism, or something related? It started out as business management and tourism. So sure. it was always going to be tourism specific, except they were doing a trip um, where they were going to go to Nepal and hike around Nepal. But I'm disabled myself, so I couldn't actually take part, which meant I had to change to business management. Oh. And you know, now the PhD is under business and management because they don't have a tourism PhD. Oh, I see. I see. That is so yeah. interesting. And also, was it... Uh, also because you said you're disabled mm-hmm. right so is it uh, what sort of disability do you possess and does that affect it as well uh, does that influence for you striving into PH into the PhD and also specifically for the for, that, for the research you're you're undertaking well it was definitely influential in how I picked my topic yeah but I um, I can't put weight on my knee basically there's muscle damage all around that just doesn't heal so i can't spend more than about three hours standing up at a time yeah and things like that and i'll just buckle and it's just pain constantly so it's like a chronic pain thing yeah i cannot imagine how how it must be so painful uh yet i can perceive that uh we all treated equally and uh we can everyone can take a PhD whether it has disabilities or, or not or not definitely yeah well it did stop me from getting the masters didn't it in, in the kind of area I wanted to so that was very frustrating but um, that I can do a PhD in it is pretty good <laughs> okay. all right so you've told me before before we we, we started the recording um, you told me that uh, you were t- you were keen in the using of uh, virtual reality and specifically for this uh, framework in tourism and business management which is gaining popularity uh, to be fair why why VR what did spark into you to, to do to do this I am an adventure traveler so it's about virtual reality and limited mobilities um, in adventure tourism and I am um, I love adventure tourism. Like, I, if I if my body allows me, I will hike across countries. I will throw myself, bungee jump off buildings. I'll do whatever. I'm like, I'm really an adrenaline junkie. I'm limited by my body, and I am not technical in any way. But I have a PS5. And, okay. And I was doing something on there, and it mentioned VR bungee jumping or skydiving. So I then thought, well, wouldn't that be interesting? People more disabled than I am, because I'm still quite capable. Would it be interesting to see if we could take them to adventure tourism, which is quite, if you don't have a, an able body, it's very limited. You can't do much of it. So could we do it on VR instead? So my little yes. love of gaming met my love of adventure tourism in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so interesting. So from... So from a gaming perspective, and uh, that what it uh, spa- uh, gained interest into you in moving forward, but and then trying to transfer that into a different framework, but also to promote equality 
between people and those also with disability i assume from what you what you've you've said to me yeah basically just to make things much more accessible but maybe not in the way that we think it might be you know in vr instead of actually yeah accessibility in a different way maybe i can see as well because because nowadays the vr the vr as i could say from from the past the 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 things that when i was um uh, a child and also a, a teenager the sense of vr uh that we uh, that me you and m many others who uh, advan uh who, are, who are living this this generation of the playstation xbox and we nintendo we uh, experienced vr i remember experiencing vr but not vr per se but I don't know if you have remember the the iToy camera was for PS2 and throughout I was able also to get the PlayStation Move for PS3 so that was another one and experienced Nintendo Wii not just to to promote physical uh, physical activity by playing video games and which was quite fun actually and I wonder how that the how did that influence as well uh, people with disability to being active while playing their video games, their favorite video games. I know it's well. It would be hard to do. It's quite sedentary by um, by design, isn't it? You know, you've got gaming chairs and you've got all this lot. So it would be interesting, maybe, to use VR to help people get fit in a, in a more fun way. And there's on the VR itself, there's lots of um, virtual reality workouts, like that called Beat Saber. Sure. And we throw swords to a beat <laughs> and things like that. So maybe, so there was a lot of kind of adrenaline stuff on there already. So it would be nice to just kind of bring it back and say, okay, let's do a calm one, you know, calm adventure maybe. So we went around Machu Picchu. Oh, that's so so lovely. Uh, re yeah. It's to get getting fit, but also for research purposes for now now with the phd and all of that yeah so what was your first reaction when you tried vr for the first time using the the, go the goggles headset oh i was really actually very impressed um i was actually really stupid in that i played a horror game first <laughs> and i was absolutely terrified i think it was um oh no it was like an escape room but a horror themed version so yeah yeah, sure. and um, I was absolutely terrified. I had to take it off and go spend have a cup of tea. <laughs> what was the name of the game? It was called The Room VR. The Room VR. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I'd recommend it if you do have the Oculus Head system. But um, I was terrified, so it sparked a very real reaction. Mm. <laughs> it's a quite recent game, I think. Uh, not even 10 years old, I assume, that you would have, because I think VR, mm. VR has been... Well, taking apart the PlayStation, the, the PlayStation Move on PS3 and the the iToy, I think the VR has been ever since since the PlayStation 4 came in almost 10 years ago. Because I remember seeing that in in different stores where people would try uh, virtual reality, and then when obviously when the PS5 came out uh, uh, almost uh, two almost two years and a half ago, then the VR, the virtual reality market, became uh, a reality starting to boom a lot more so um, it started in 2010 with because I've done the oculus because you've got PlayStation VR which attaches to the PlayStation 
yes. which is quite old now. Mm-hmm. And then I've got, uh, and then there was the Oculus attached to a computer. But when I was starting my VR, um, kind of look around, see what I wanted, the Oculus Quest 2 had just come out. And it didn't need any computer to run it. The headset was the computer. Sure. So it just needed the headset and the controllers, meaning it was much more accessible for my participants. So it's come on in leaps and bounds. It doesn't feel that way sometimes. Ten years feels like a long time, but it's not really. <laughs> it's not that long at all, but um, yeah. For technology anyway, but it came, it came on in leaps and bounds. <laughs> It's quite interesting. Uh, I guess VR is to stay, and since we are, since we are advancing so much in technical technologically, who knows that uh, VR when it goes to the, the sixth generation? Who knows that the the reaction and also the stimulus, but also the accessibility and adapt- adaptability will also link with the necessities of many people who has disabilities and not just saying physical disabilities but also people when they for example they warn people with epilepsy right and uh, to to avoid if they if they can't if they can't stay for long hours uh, they might just having a break for for epilepsy danger uh, danger well it's being used in rehabilitation physical rehabilitation now so there's a lot of medical uses coming forward for VR now but it's still a long way to go a big theme for one because I'm in the analysis stage of my PhD now so a lot of Mm. work heading my way but uh, one of the biggest themes is that the VR was not adaptable it wasn't made for them basically and they were very frustrated with the technology because they were all in wheelchairs basically or they all had to sit down for it and the VR is made for people who can stand up for periods of time right Right. I remember hearing that saying that when they were showing VR in the the gaming stores most of the people were just people who could stand up because it's just just, you can you could walk around and all and well that even for me I tried I tried VR not not many years ago for the first time virtual reality on um, on using the Oculus headset headset and all that Uh, for me uh, it was quite confusing but a fun experience but now seeing on the other side when you're telling me that it was just only for a certain percentage of people then it takes a little more time to ex- to trying to make it more adaptable and accessible yeah to, to i think it's for a certain demographic currently maybe and it's just well they just haven't thought about people with disabilities using the equipment so i don't know unless they start thinking about it but um, I don't know, I'll see what I can do with my research afterwards. <laughs> oh, well. And now going into the research. Uh, so how did you introduce VR to VR for your project and for your supervisor and mainly for your volunteers? We're not going to say here the names, obviously, uh, anon- to stay anonymous. But how did you introduce to these three entities? Um, I was really quite lucky with my supervisor in that she actually asked me to apply for the PhD. And we came up with the kind of set to do the proposal and do the whole thing. And she helped me come up with that. And then when I mentioned virtual reality, she was like, yes, there's a huge gap in the research for that. So that would be absolutely perfect. So that was amazing. Wow. Um, 
so my participants I actually included via like posters and emails and things like that and most people were so interested that I didn't actually have any trouble recruiting they were just really excited to try the virtual reality so like they I know I was absolutely terrified I was gonna have to extend by a year or do something like that but no the moment I got about four people and then it just snowballed so I had absolutely no trouble recruiting because people were so excited for virtual reality already that was the biggest so it's what it was more easier than 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 you expected I I expected to struggle mind you you hear horror stories about recruitment don't you and things like that so I was just going oh my god I just I don't want to have to extend I'm self-funded I can't (laughs) you know panicking (laughs) over nothing I did it all um in about six months (laughs) oh so uh well, it was quite easier. It was quite easier then, as you said. Yeah. So that means you beat COVID. Yes. Well, I started. Um, I, you know, my timeline's a bit. So 2020 was when I finished my masters. I didn't actually get my graduation ceremony until last year, but um, and then straight into 2021. So yeah, two years ago, January. I am. I'm no January in influx, and then. Yeah, so COVID was basically over and it wasn't until last year that I was even doing data collection. So thankfully I missed it completely. So then once you got accepted, so your proposal got accepted and you got into the PhD, mm-hmm. then which locations uh, around Swansea or Wales in general uh, you consider to get your volunteers informed and to willing, willingly participate in, the, in your project? So I am actually based in Carmarthen. It's about an hour outside of Swansea. I commute. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I applied to local groups in the area of like Pembrokeshire, Carmarthenshire, Swansea. So I had quite the spectrum. And there was things like uh, People First, Pembrokeshire. Um, I went for veterans, uh, soldier veterans, and pain clinics, things like that. So I was quite, I had about three counties I could pick from because I'm slap buying in the middle of both. So I had a bit of a pool. And then? And luckily people were interested. And then I had a pain clinic. One person came in and then they said, oh, I'll tell the others. And then from that clinic, I had four people. <laughs> so like it just snowballed. <laughs> so you probably had plenty of participants. In yeah, a few... well, I had more participants than I actually needed, which I think is a very rare place for a... For what was a... the limit you, you needed? So because I'm doing IPA, which is Interpretive Phenomenological Analysis, it is an extremely analysis-heavy uh, type of... It's about it's to do with experience, basically. And it's about the layers of a person's individual experience. So because it's so huge in the data that you need, you need to go really, really deep. I only needed about 10. So I ended up with about 13 which is more data than I can handle right now, I'm finding out, but... <laughs> was it still acceptable with 13, 13 individuals? Yes, they were like, you've put too much work on yourself, actually, because I actually have three supervisors. <laughs> and they were all like, you've done something stupid here. <laughs> oh, so uh, was divided between... You had you had like yeah, a... they were so happy I had them. <laughs> they were like, oh, you've, you've given yourself too much work. <laughs> Which physical disabilities they present had a range yeah we so it was all limited mobilities sure um so it was all to do with the body but it was all limited mobilities um from kind of the waist downwards so 
with the veterans. There was a lot of quite traumatic wounds, actually. I, I had a person with no leg. Uh, there was someone with no foot from diabetes. Uh-huh. Uh, four people from pain clinic. So they were just in chronic pain constantly. They just couldn't move more than a couple of feet without being in pain. For no reason, their body was just sending pain signals. And I had two, an older couple who had like uh, osteonecrosis. They were 87, right? So I had those. Yeah, lots, lots of different things. And a lot of it was actually sudden. Like they, one was just running a marathon and then suddenly couldn't walk the next day and that was it, paralyzed for the rest. And I was just sitting there going, I'm so grateful for like the fact that I can move. This is... Sure. Yeah. So, and then... You told me that for your for your experiments, you used touristic sites. Could you tell which ones was it, and how were 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 their reaction when they announced them? When you announced the sightseeings? In the pilot study, there were three options. So it was Kenya, Borneo, and Machu Picchu. And from the pilot study, I was able to kind of narrow it down to something that would be a bit more useful to my research project, so that we could have the same. I could study the same reactions from people or the reactions to the same thing. Sure. So I it, I had to focus it on Machu Picchu because it was much more interactive and everything like that. And some people were really excited to go and some people didn't really care about Machu Picchu, but they were just there for the virtual reality kind of nature of it. Not for the touristic site per, uh, itself. No, but most people didn't actually care about that. <laughs> they were just there for the tech. <laughs> <laughs> like... Virtual reality is expensive, so I yes, think at least half of them were like, "All right, well, I want to kind of buy it, but if I don't like it, so they were seeing this as a free run, basically a free trial." <laughs> okay, sounds interesting. And um, how then you introduced them to VR? Did you had any training before the case studies you you've done, or did you say jump straight into? Jump straight into. I did interview training because. Well, I'd never interviewed before. My dissertation was didn't have human participants for my master's. So this was the first time I'd ever interviewed someone. So I made sure to get interview training. But as for the VR, I basically just put it on them so that they were comfortable. Because obviously you have to adjust it to, to you. And then I just let them go. And you can cast onto your phone so I could see what they were seeing. So that if they had any questions, I could answer them by looking through it. And I had to make sure that I was you know, good at the VR. I knew what I was doing. Oh there. My. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sounds interesting. They, they, they got hooked. They, well, some did. I think some went out and bought it, and I'm like, I should be getting a commission from this. I'm just saying. <laughs> but um, some didn't like it because of how inaccessible <laughs> it was to them. All right. So, yeah, this is not. It's another thing. Just promoting both uh, equality for this for disabled people, but as well introducing VR. To some, it was something maybe for them, uh, something galactical to say to say the least. And uh, I can imagine how must happy they were, because were some of those some of those volunteers that you that you interacted with them, as many of them traveled overseas or not. So the ones that had been disabled for a long time obviously have not traveled. It's so difficult when you're disabled to travel anywhere because not even hotels you can really use. So everything has to be adapted and it's just people just don't. So a lot of them hadn't and they were quite excited to be able to see places that they would never get to see. But on the flip side, it actually made them upset. 
because it was like showing them what they could have won <laughs> if they weren't disabled. Like, oh, here's what you could have seen for real if you weren't disabled. <laughs> so it was, you know, exciting for them, but also quite sad. I got a lot of emotional response. <laughs> oh, and oh, so a lot of lots of emotional response then. And since speaking about emotional reactions, then what did they experience while using the the, the Oculus? So, well. Generally, a lot of excitement, um, but it actually wasn't the Oculus that made them emotional. It was the interview afterwards, where because I was asking them, you know, how was that for you? How did you feel? And then I had one girl, bless her. We had to take a break during the interview. I actually had to take a break for most of them because they got emotional. And one of them was, um, yeah, she. So she was the one who'd been running a marathon and then found out she would never be able to walk again. Like she went from being someone so fit and healthy thinking she had all the time in the world to do this travel to being told the next day that no it's not you're not going to be able to do this again so she got really upset because she feels like she's lost independence and whilst the virtual reality gave that back to her in some way it also reminded her that she did not have it <laughs> so we could say in that moment when they were experienced Kenya Borneo and Machu Picchu yeah their emotions arisen and saying that okay that would be the first and last time ever that I'm going to experience this because then uh, so that for in their minds would be I'm I have freedom now yeah. in that yeah. space so in that spatial time yeah there was an element of of freedom like oh I'm one person was there's a lot of steps in Machu Picchu mm. I'd say it's high up in the mountains but someone was very excited to be able to walk down steps <laughs> without pain to experience walking down steps without pain they didn't care that it was Machu Picchu but they were just so excited mm. that stairs would not be a problem <laughs> so it must have been hard for them to using the controllers of the VR controllers yeah. so they, they use that for the Machu Picchu for example they use them to yes. to climb them so they, they they had any sort of tiredness joysticks re resilience yeah not in the hands so much they so the people because I did have a number of people who were gamers they got it really instinctively you know if you're playing the PlayStation you're used to controllers <laughs> so those who had played the PlayStation were really quite skilled with it but then you've got the older generation and things like that who had never played and they couldn't stand it they just they just could not get the controllers at all so trying to move around with a joystick left and right they just couldn't do it so it was quite frustrating for them there was a, like a lot of range of emotions going on they were excited at the at the experience but frustrated at the controllers and the headsets really heavy and then the experience that you had to take a picture and you had to get the camera mm. from your hip but when you're sitting down in a wheelchair you don't actually have a hip <laughs> you know it's it's not there <laughs> so they couldn't access some of the experience so they found a hard time to adapt themselves to the oculus because because and that's yeah so instead of the oculus adapting yeah. to them the they had to try and adapt to the Oculus, and it's yeah. quite logical because, uh, and then as we were we were speaking uh, before, that the Oculus was made for this for first for the people for the people to stand that were uh, were able to standing up and not for the disabled people, and yeah. there's also that lack of adaptation to the heads and also the the, the hands mm. yeah. of people because it, it, each touch and shape of any head and, and hand it's different 
but the problem is it is so the 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 VR system the, the headset is made through is is a standard is a standard um, production yeah and that would be tremendously difficult to spend and they would spend millions and millions of dollars pounds uh, whatever uh, in adapting to every to each individual's head business point of view it doesn't make sense to adapt it really doesn't and i think some uh, there was somebody whose business was actually to adapt things and they were like i understand why they're not doing it but you cannot help but feel that absolute frustration when they can't they are banned from something that is deemed quite normal of course you know? like it seems like it's accessible because it's just on your head and your hands but it's not <laughs> Like it's been taken away. No, and yeah. and it, that that thing has logic. I mean, the first time that I experienced, in my case, even though I'm, I'm not a disabled person, I don't know when I will be disabled. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, for the first time when I experienced VR, one of the things that stood me up, uh, that started to give me pain, yeah. was around here, because I have a because the bones of my of my forehead are large. They're quite accentuated. And the, not even the cushion of the of the Oculus eased my my pain. So yeah, after having the experience, it was five minutes that I had that experience. It hurt. It hurt me a lot. Yeah. So there's a way to go for people who aren't disabled as well. I think when it comes to VR, the technology the technology will get there eventually. I think. Um, yeah, they just need to keep pushing for it. But have you ever played Assassin's Creed? Yes, I've played. Yeah, so the Animus, that actually came up a lot among the gamers. Sure. That's virtual reality, the Animus. It is, it is indeed, it is. Yeah. And it's just something that you lay in, isn't it? And you control with your mind, sure. <laughs> basically. And I had a lot of people going, I want that virtual reality. And I'm like, well, that's currently just in a game, but I'm sure that might be the end game. We don't know. <laughs> no, we don't know. And probably it might be even the future, as we were speaking before, it's coming to become... Uh, virtual reality com- is increasingly being increasingly popular. Uh, probably will replace con- uh, remote controls of, P- of, the, of the PlayStation and Xbox. Who knows? And well, the more, more something becomes popular, the more you use it, sure. the, the cheaper it becomes to develop. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, yeah, eventually, well, it's going to be thirty years time, and kids and grandkids are going to be learning on virtual reality in schools. I'm sure. <laughs> sure, and I think as well, and probably with the also the the, the influence of the technology, you know that people are the children in certain schools uh, are not being able on on how to write, and I wonder if that will influence uh, people with disability as well. Just a keyboard, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you wouldn't even need the keyboard because um, some of the VR does work by um, voice recognition. I know I haven't got it off. I don't trust it. A bit paranoid, but my PS5 will wake up if you say wake up PS5. So it's voice controlled already. Yeah, something like that. I'm not sure. I turn that off because that's I don't want to listen to me. <laughs> oh well. So since this is becoming a futuristic tool uh, and also beneficial for tourism and people with disability in general we were talking about some of the things that 
are still to be yet developed, such as being adaptable to each uh, head's individual, for people with disability, and also the, the downside of seeing that as a business, as a business perspective of standardizing the VR Oculus, do you think that is still there is still much work to do from a business point of view, but also from the tourism, because it also will because this also might move with the psychology of people with disability. Yeah. What I do you think, think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of work needs to be done with VR, um, but I'm confident that it will get there in my lifetime. Things are just developing so fast that there's hope at the end of the tunnel for me. For physiotherapy, I might one day be able to walk again without pain. Um, but for those who... so. You know, maybe by the time that happens, we are will be better, and I needn't have worried. <laughs> of course, no, because it's it's been incredible. Because I remember, because since we're speaking disability, you remind me some of some of the answers that uh, you were you, when when you you answered to me and we were talking. Because that reminds me, uh, one of the one of my first guests here the, at the PhD Launch Podcast was also a PhD student in Swansea University, uh, Felicity McKee that is taking also history of uh, disability in the 19th century and she was talking about uh, the future of disability in the whole world and she told me that there was there are a lot of people that in the future when they get 50, 60 or even earlier that stage that they will present signs of disability that for now we do not recognize it you know and uh, one of the statistics that I've been seeing that I've, uh, I saw uh, earlier today was one of one website called worldbank.org and they told it, they tell us uh, that around 80% which equals to a 1 billion of people have a disability whether it's physical, psychological, neurological, whatever and probably the yeah. use of the VR as we were discussing here may even be a you say medicinal solution as well for that aspect in in case of if people cannot go to certain countries because of that disability then they have the VR to experience it and who knows not just the VR but expanding it into a a simulation room uh, with 3D have you ever seen Star Trek? I've seen Star Trek yes have you seen the 70s now so it's called the next generation and they have something on it called the holodeck yes yeah so that room style thing Mm -hmm. i was actually funny enough i was doing analysis on that today specifically and that is it's a it's a room and it's in what vr is missing that people have found is that with tourism you experience all Mm -hmm. of the five senses there's smell there's touch you know vr only has audio visual sure so people found that especially the people who have traveled much more they were like well actually this is missing like for me new york is the smell of hot dogs sure you know and uh when i go like mallorca is the smell of um, sun cream <laughs> so they associate smells with travel so the vr doesn't provide that so until you get to a stage where the holodeck or even the animus or something that we actually only see in media happens it's never going to be 
what people actually want it to be. So I don't think it's it can go far enough for travel. I think it'll be a good way to maybe pre-experience something. So like say you are disabled, you can look at a hotel and be like, okay, no, this ramp is wide enough. You know, you can maybe double check areas, but when it comes to travel experiences, I'm not sure until you get to the future, like the real futuristic stuff, the real video game sci-fi stuff, it's not actually going to be any good for it. <laughs> no, so the only thing that we we just have to do is just wait and see uh, any in, any solution that can be practical and also beneficial for the worldwide population. So I can't take a guess that for the next 20 years that might be something new in regards to the percentage of people that has a disability. We're aging as a population as well. Like we're getting older and older and there's constantly age-related disabilities. People assume that they aren't disabilities. So like arthritis. Sure. That's a disability. But people don't class it as it because you just... You're old, that's what it is. <laughs> that's a disability. So we do have a lot more disabilities than people will declare. So I think that the one billion is probably a lot higher because most people won't even say they're disabled when they are. Sure. So probably this this this, this statistics uh, present disability, but they might count just only with the physical uh, disability movements. Yeah. So like I also have um, ADD. My attention is just, but that's kind of counted as a mental disability. But a lot of people won't count it. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, because you could when you're doing those statistics, you can only get people who count themselves. You only have people's words for the statistics. So if you've got tons of people who are disabled but don't know that they are, because there's just not enough knowledge about it, then I think yeah, I think those statistics are actually much lower than what reality is. Yes, and I, I and I agree with you. And uh, one of the things. That also can be can be could be helpful, although has been some sort of, of political issues about that, and I don't want to extend from that. Uh, is that this idea of Bill Gates trying to invest on a chip where can it uh, to be inserted inside our bodies and to relate what we have, what we need to take, uh, what medicine do we have to to use when we are ill when we are ill. Or if we have any disability, what should we do? What they can contact? It's quite sci-fi, science fiction from that from that context. But I think it will turn to be a reality. And many people um, have been criticizing that that it was like an attempt to attacking freedom, per se. But I don't want to prolong onto that. And I think that will be a reality within 20 years. And the use of VR for that would could also be something adjoining to that chip be good to help you visualize so sometimes if you've got a like a little chip that says oh you have let's say cystic fibrosis but like just saying that isn't going to help you and i find that vr is really good visually in that it can definitely help you visualize you know whatever that actually means <laughs> being told you're this doesn't always relate to understanding so i think vr might be able to help with something <laughs> like that at least. no i'm sure and also with the VR and the chip that Bill Gates is trying to, to develop and futuristically will be invested by the by the multimillionaires, I think yeah. <laughs> we don't we cannot say much longer in what the future holds. 
but uh, no, from what you... developing in such different ways. In such, <laughs> you don't know what's going to come next or how fast something's sure. going to develop. Like nuclear fusion, uh, they've done a successful... Like, I'm amazed at that nuclear fusion. And if that is going to become in my lifetime, that's going to be intense. It's going to change everything. All the way down to virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we, we just have to, to wait and see what the future holds. During your research, did you have a volunteer that excited you the most? Yes, I did. There was this, it's funny, it ties in with uh, the future, um, this 87-year-old. And he was, oh. I know, he was so small. He was, I'm five foot two, and he was like, to my shoulder, he was tiny. And I really, really liked him because he was so enthusiastic. And he was saying how the world must go forward without me because I'm 87 but if this is what the future is going to be like then that's amazing I'm happy for the future to go forward without me and he was just so infused not by the VR or what actually what his experience actually was he didn't care about Machu Picchu he did it because his daughter had done it so it was like that snowball thing and um was just so happy with what was coming next what the vr represented more than what the vr actually was and it was just so infectious <laughs> so he didn't identify himself with the vr or did he to some extent no he you know, no he said he's not going to be a vr user you know that's this is something he's ever going to do again mm. and he just he loved having a new experience i mean when you're 87 you've experienced a lot so he was absolutely thrilled just to have this brand new experience and just his pure joy like was just amazing to be around and he was telling me about how excited he was about like he's got this grandkid that he's like if this my grandkid might learn sure. might be in a school with this might get to go to places I've never been without ever stepping out of his home and that's just so you know amazing and I was just there going yeah it is it's amazing <laughs> So it was more about what he spoke, uh, what he spoke, what he has yeah. written uh, for the interview and his excitement, yes, his excitement for the for the VR, not just no. the material, but just yes. hearing. Was it the first time he was it the first time he heard uh, that those uh, initial yes. VR? So I because um, I had an information sheet and I sent it to him was like just asking me all these questions he was so curious on in the email and then he was just so excited to do it and then he did it and he was thrilled he actually did love the experience he was like oh i never thought i'd see something like that and just he was so present and excited the entire time from beginning to end it was great <laughs> i wish i could meet him someday. <laughs> i wish i wish everyone could meet him he was but... so great <laughs> <laughs> he was. It was sad to think he was like he. I don't know. He was just thinking he wasn't going to make the year. He was. He was quite old, and he had um, osteonecrosis, so it's not arthritis, but his bones are literally dying off. So he's saying how he might not make the year, and he's so happy to have had this experience because now he's confident that he can leave the planet, knowing that the future is going to be great. <laughs> So I just loved that. But I was sad about it because I was like, no, I've just met you and I don't want to even think about you dying. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It sounded like an anthropological interaction <laughs> yeah, then. It was mutually beneficial. It was great. I was, I was emotional. He was emotional. But he was just so thrilled with it. And I loved it. Yeah, he was definitely my favorite. <laughs> Did you have any other least favorites? So I should, I, I dare to say, <laughs> to ask. <laughs> I did have one who, um, she's quite combative. Oh. She had high anxiety. And so anytime I asked her to expand on something, she just assumed that her answer wasn't good enough. And she was like, why isn't it good enough? And I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. I just need to go a bit deeper into the answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I felt like I was really on edge. But um, mostly they were really, really good. <laughs> so in the end, all the investigation, all the, the case studies you did throughout your research were positive overall. Yes. Overall, yeah, positive experiences, positive reactions. Um, and most people, though, were not excited about virtual reality as it is now, but as it will be. And, and you see, since you haven't finished your PhD yet, what did you learn yeah. uh, throughout those experiences you had? A lot. <laughs> so much. Um, so, well, just about research in general, um, about interviewing in general, just tons of skills, but also the outcomes. Um, so it's that basically virtuality is not adaptable. It is not accessible. Um, it does advertise itself as such. So it's false advertising. Um, but there is so much potential in it. It's unholy. Like it's not where it a lot of them were influenced by the media that they've seen so the Star Trek uh, Assassin's Creed came up um, have you ever seen the film Ready Player One? yes I've seen the films I've played the games I've read the books <laughs> <laughs> so you know all of the media well all of them had also done the same and this is where they thought virtual reality was they were like oh but then they were like oh wait no these films um, things are set in the future why would it be here why did I expect that But because they're surrounded by that media, that's what they expected. So they're not so excited about what it is now because they expected the future. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. It does make sense, especially when you're speaking about Star Trek, when we imagine even the film called 2021 was made yeah. during the 80s, I think. Yeah. Was expecting, oh, we're going to see aliens and all of that. All of them are green, just like they're doing the, the gaming sim simulation. Yeah. And also they have will those big eyes that imagining VR in that, in that sense. And now, 30, 40 years, almost 50, all they imagined, they made it a reality. Yeah. So science fiction is very often a precursor to science fact. <laughs> yes. So, like, I think yes. Star Trek had flip phones. I totally phones. agree. <laughs> yeah. I Star totally Trek had flip agree. phones before flip phones were a thing. They had Bluetooth. They had automatic doors. Like, pretty much prophetic wisdom coming from Star Trek. So, hopefully, that follows, that tracks, yeah. <laughs> Ho hopefully, the legacy, the, the Star Trek legacy Lives on, uh, yeah. shall go on. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I love Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, as we are approaching to, to the end of, um, of, of our session, in general, what are your thoughts on doing a PhD? And what advice do you have for the students who are listening to this session? still enjoying my time and part of me wonders if that's because I'm self-funded and the project is so close to my heart but I am actually working three jobs as well as the PhD I'm doing the TA 
as I'm self-funded, I work in retail to fund it and I'm a research assistant. So I find it really, really tricky to balance my time. And I don't stress out. I, I, I don't think a lot of people tell me how they're having breakdowns and stuff. And I'm just sitting there going, why? <laughs> like Exactly. And so it's <laughs> when we meet the undergraduates and, and we, when we work with them, when they ask, uh, I don't know if you had that, if you had that uh, personal experience that I also had, uh, you're taking a PhD and it's automatic unconsciously they say oh that's too much time without realizing that the yeah under the, the the undergraduate is also three years or four years same goes for the PhD I think the psychological thing around that when yeah. we advise to do a PhD the trick is I'm so independent that I don't have lectures and I don't feel motivated But that's the, the issue of the PhD is not having lectures, yeah. is being your, yourself, your own lecturer, and give yourself your own class, which is the research, yeah. right, and the thesis. So the way I say it is I say that I have to be my own zookeeper. Sure. So my PhD is the zoo, and I have to get it fed, watered... <laughs> I have to do that for myself <laughs> so I have to be my own zookeeper you know I have to give myself uh, enrichment you know because I, I rock climb outside of this it really helps for the knee like a physical therapy type thing and um, so and I have to factor in my, my physiotherapy as well so I'm always getting exercise <laughs> so I, I am my own zookeeper so it makes sense to kind of externalize it a little bit Yeah, sure. time, time management is absolutely <laughs> time management is the key and I add yeah. as well uh, consistency is also a uh, key uh, for for, for yes. PhD students consistency and consistency because uh, I also run on an energy schedule like if I'm like right I'm going to do PhD work but I'm so low on energy I'm just going to stare at a screen and not do anything because I'm just there like <laughs> I guess I have to do work now nothing's going to be done and the work is not going to be any good so when I have that kind of low energy I've actually set aside like the niggly bits of the PhD so like getting your references correctly referenced you know um, finding the papers and putting them aside reading them but anything that requires a low energy then when I have high energy that's when I do my analysis and my writing so it's time management and energy management I think for me Absolutely. Especially Absolutely. No, there's no, there's not right or wrong. Everyone yeah. has his, has his point Maybe of view of doing the PhD. I <laughs> and I think the more, the more advice we give to undergraduates and trying to motivate them to go forward, uh, I think the better. Because uh, as we were speaking as well about the future of VR, uh, we can also say about the future of the, P, uh, the future of university education. More and more businesses and also the teaching system are not just requesting be, uh, just uh, graduation they are now requesting the MA and within a few years which is also slowly disappearing they only request PhDs and who knows in the future postdocs so we we must be yeah. updated whatever the costs well it's like I was saying about technology unfortunately it goes the other way the more popular the bachelor is then the more people are going to want the masters because it's common <laughs> the more demanding will be yes So it's it's like America. Have you ever been? Yeah, have you ever been to America, like the US? 
no, no. No. So the education system there is shit crazy. Um, I used to live in California, and they the student fees are ridiculous and the student finance is awful, but they are like that already. You must have the masters before you can even go into something that's considered an entry level job. Yeah. So I think we're getting. I, I don't agree with it, but I think that's what's happening in Britain too. <laughs> well, I don't say no more. <laughs> so, from that, you told me and totally understand. And yeah. I believe for the, for those who are listening, will also yeah. through time will understand. So to end the session, to know more about your research yeah. and your passion that you have said multiple times here throughout the throughout the interview, where do the listeners can follow you? If you have social media for more information or any other resources that you would love to 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 share so that any student can could be in touch with you okay so i really only have I'm, i have a twitter i'm very very bad at social media like i only got a twitter recently i don't even know my username that's how that's how bad i am i don't have an instagram <laughs> oh, i do have a private instagram that's not for research purposes um Yeah, so I can give you my Twitter handle is Louisa B Hardwick. I'm always, always doing. It's mostly tourism based, I'll be honest, but there's a lot of um, virtual reality involved, of course, because the Aven Institute with Swansea, they're virtual reality based, and sometimes I work with them in development of things. So, yeah, but as for social media, that's really it. Unless people want to f- see my travels on Instagram, but that's it. <laughs> And I can also see a bit of your research. You share a bit. Instagram, just on Twitter. My Instagram's personal, but um, basically, like I said, I travel for 10 years and I can't stop. I still go every every three months. I'm off somewhere stupid. Like I think, and all of the conferences for tourism, they're all everywhere. So in the last year, I've been to Jordan. Uh, I was in Menorca for a conference, um, South America. And now I'm in Montreal this year. Tourism conferences are insane. <laughs> Expensive. I can imagine. Insane. <laughs> I can imagine how it must be so motivating for you. No, well, especially because our allowance is only seven fifty, and I'm like, I have to travel to Canada on that. <laughs> How's that gonna work? But all right, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, Louisa, thank you so much for this interview. I believe I've. For me, I've learned a bit more uh, about VR and how VR should be put into practice for disabled people and seeing what the future holds for VR. But also, I enjoyed so much having this conversation with you. So thank you for reaching me and to being part of, of the PhD Lounge. And I wish you all the best to finish the, the research so that you can travel even more and see what the future holds. And... <laughs> It when 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 the th- when the thesis becomes published, then I'm keen to to read it and see how and to have a, a perspective <laughs> about it. So I will, I will thank you very much. Buy you a coffee if you can get through that via mouth. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you for the for the conversation. Thank you for having me. And this is where I end this late night interview with Louisa Hardwick. Personally, my talk with Louisa 
gave me more information about the use of VR from tourism and business perspectives and also learned something about the goods and the bads of VR in adapting it to people with disabilities. But nevertheless, those individuals with limited mobility Louisa had interviewed had in general a positive experience when interacting with the Oculus headset while they explored virtually Kenya, Borneo and Machu Picchu. A big thank you to Louisa for sharing her PhD experience and background that led to her research and also to all the listeners that had time to hear this late night interview. If you want to know more about her research, then make sure to reach her Twitter at Louisa B. Hardwick and she will be pleased to share more things about research and her advice about doing a PhD. This session is coming soon, and so more late-night interviews are also coming. But the next session will be the continuation of the PhD Iceberg Explained series, so stay tuned for it. In the meantime, if you are enjoying PhD Launch Podcast, then please leave your feedback or a review to help the PhD Lounge outreach many listeners and PhD students who would like to share their PhD experience. You can leave your feedback or review at my new website, phdlounge.co.uk, which was made by Natalie Jarvis, a PhD student based in Swansea University studying business management. And also, feel free to check on the social media. Facebook, PhD Pod Lounge, Instagram, PhD LMF, and Twitter, at PhD Loungecast. Thank you all for tuning in. It has been a pleasure.